full of uh, what I would consider to be really significant moments of meeting Christ through other people in my life. Uh, one of the very first times was uh, actually as an ABI student. Um, I was attending CCC at the time and I was broken. And I didn't even know why. I, I just knew I wasn't doing well. Uh, my girlfriend had flown off to Europe, left me alone, and sad, depressed, despairing, hopeless, dejected. And I didn't, couldn't really put my finger on it. And I, all I knew was is that the Lord said, you need to go for it. And what that meant for me at the time was actually responding to an altar call. I responded to an altar call at an evening service at CCC and Mark Eden's uh, was the conduit through, through which I met Christ in that moment. It was powerful. At another moment as an ABI student where the Lord really specifically, and I resisted this for quite some time, told me to go and ask the guy across the hallway from me in the room across the hall in the ABI dormitory. His name was Stephen Landau. He asked me to go have Stephen pray for me. And I thought that was dumb, so I didn't do it for a while. <laughs> but the Lord was dealing with something deeper, and when I went, finally, after much resistance, I went across the hall and asked Steve to pray for me. The Lord met me that night. really significant way in the midst of my unvarnished resistance to him. I remember a conversation with my parents a number of years ago, describing some hard situations that I was dealing with. And uh, this is actually when they were still in the Philippines and I I remember sitting actually on their bed in their room and kind of laying out my experience and talked for probably two hours. And my mom, as a conduit, the Spirit of God, said, so you've told us all about what's happening, but you haven't told us how you're doing. which I had intentionally avoided because to talk about how I was doing involved a lot of blubbering. <laughs> Just in the last couple of years, um, I've had life-changing, heart-transforming, encounters with Christ through my own wife. I've, I've, I've met God in the flesh and been on the receiving end of divine love through Jenny. We're talking about encounters 
John, the Gospel of John, seems to want to tell these very sort of personal uh, stories, these small microcosms of the whole ministry of Jesus. John doesn't seem terribly interested in spending a lot of time talking about the larger ministry of Jesus and seems to want to instead tell stories of how one person met God. So today we're going to look at John 4, and I'm going to actually start out just by reading the story. That's one that maybe you're familiar with. It's actually one that I'm very familiar with, uh, and it's one that despite my, my long familiarity with uh, in the last couple of weeks, I feel like I'm reading this story for the first time. So I'm just going to go through it. This won't be on the screen, but you can just track with me. I'm going to be reading, uh, I believe this is the NASB version, John chapter 4, picking it up in verse 1. So then when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that he was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself was not baptizing, rather his disciples were, he left Judea and he went away to Galilee and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar near the parcel of land that Jacob gave to his son Joseph, literally almost 2,000 years prior. And Jacob's well was there, and so Jesus, tired from his journey, was sitting by the well, and it was about the sixth hour. And a woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, "'Give me a drink.'" For his disciples had gone away to the city to buy food. So the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, though you are a Jew, are asking me for a drink, though I am a Samaritan woman? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. A little bit of context. Samaritans were uh, the descendants of the ten tribes of Israel that had split off and intermarried with the locals. And so they were considered less than sort of half-breeds, not true blood Jews or the people of God. So Jesus replied to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And she said to him, sir, you have no bucket. The well is deep. Where then do you get this living water? You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us the well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle? And Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never be thirsty. But the water that I will give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty, nor come all the way here to draw water. And he said to her, Go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered and said to him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You have said correctly that you have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. This which you have said is true. And the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and yet you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one must worship. And Jesus said to her, Believe me, woman, the time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. 
You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know because salvation is from the Jews. But a time is coming, and even now it has arrived, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit. Those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. And when that one comes, he will declare all things to us. And Jesus said to her, I am he, the one speaking to you. And at this point, his disciples came and they were amazed that he had been speaking with a woman. Yet no one said, what are you seeking or why are you speaking with her? So the woman left her water pot and went into the city and said to the people, Come and see a man who told me all the things that I have done. This is not the Christ, is he? And then jumping to verse 39, Now from that city many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all the things that I have done. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they were asking him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. And they were saying to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and know that this one truly is the Savior of the world. a great story. I'm going to unpack the flow of this story, kind of help uh, highlight the dynamic of what's taking place here, but I need to remind you before you engage the story why Jesus came. Why is he here? What was his ministry for? 1 Peter 2.24, he himself brought our sins in his body upon the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds you were healed. Luke 4, 18 through 19, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Jesus came to bring us hope, to bring us healing, to bring us freedom. We talked about this a few weeks ago when we looked at the introduction to the Gospel of John, but John 1.4, in review, he says, regarding Jesus, in him was life, and the life was the light of mankind, and we saw his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is the life. Jesus is the light. Jesus is grace and truth in the flesh bringing hope, healing, and freedom to any who want to receive from him. That's why he came. So I want to I walk through the flow of this interaction so you have a better sense of what's going on. And if you listen carefully, you might hear yourself and your own history in this story. Jesus begins, Jesus said to her, give me a drink. 
for his disciples had gone away to the city to buy food. So the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, though you are a Jew, are asking me for a drink, though I am a Samaritan woman? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. I call this the first defense, and that is, please leave me alone. Jesus is on a mission. Jesus replied to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. This is Jesus extending to her the invitation to life. Do you want to live? Do you want life eternal? Do you want life as it was meant to be? I have it available. She responds. She says to him, sir, you have no bucket. The well is deep. Where do you get this living water? You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us the well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle? This is the second events, which I call spare me your optimism. Oh, living water. Cool. Well, Jacob drank of this well, and he's dead, and he's been dead a long time. Also, I can tell you don't even have the tools to draw water from this well. I don't know if you know this about Jesus yet, but he does not give up easily. Jesus answered and said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him, two things, shall never be thirsty, but the water that I will give to him will become in him a fountain of water springing up to eternal life. This is the invitation not just to life, but to life abundant. That is experiencing life in surplus to where because of the transforming work of God in my life, the goodness of God, the kindness of God is in surplus. It flows out of me. I've become a source of his grace and his goodness to a broken world. Jesus says, you want that? Okay, sure. I'll play along. Woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty nor come all the way here to draw water. Come to think of it, that would save me a lot of time. She accepts the invitation. She accepts, accepts the invitation and he expands the invitation. You ready? And he said to her, go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, yeah, that's true. You do not have a husband. You have had five husbands and the one whom you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. I call this the invitation to light. If you're going to receive life, you have to step into the light. And Jesus seems to graciously be testing her willingness or her desire. Do you want to step into the light? Because the only place that life is found is in the light of God, in the truth, living in the land of reality, I call it. 
Why don't you go get your husband? Uh, so about that. I don't exactly have one. And Jesus actually gives her credit twice. Hey, good job. You told the truth. Do you want to step into the light? The woman responds. <laughs> so you're a prophet. <laughs> Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, and yet you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one must worship. This is the third defense. I call this the I'm a religious outcast defense. You Jews are the reason why I don't have access to God. You've cut me out. You closed the gate. It's your fault. Jesus responds, believe me, woman, the time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. There's the issue. You don't know God. We worship what we do know because salvation is from the Jews. But here's the hope. A time is coming and even now has arrived when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. This I call the invitation to grace and truth. To say yes to God, Jesus says to her, to say yes to God is not a matter of form. It's not about this place or that. To say yes to God is to open your heart to him, to allow the true me in all of my brokenness and insufficiency to encounter the true Jesus full of grace, mercy and compassion and love. Grace and truth, spirit and truth. And then he says this, those kind of people God is looking for. He'll come find you. If you're willing to live in the light, if you're willing to live in truth, if you're willing to open up your heart in response to God and say yes to him, he will come and find you. The woman responds, she said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When that one comes, he'll declare all things to us. I call this the fourth defense, someday I'll be okay. You notice what she said? I know the Messiah is coming. That future time, when he comes, everything will make sense. And here it is. I call this the mind-blowing, reality-bending, nuclear explosion plot twist. Jesus says, I'm right here. I'm already here. Standing right in front of you. Across whatever chasm between the spiritual and the natural, between the eternal and the temporal, God in the flesh standing in front of you, extending this, this invitation. He had just told her, for this kind of person, the father seeks them out. 
I found you. Remember how I said that your issue is that you don't know God? Remember how I said that true worship is to open up your heart to the reality of who he is? Remember how I said that God seeks out the person who wants to open their heart fully to him? Well, here I am. I found you, girl. I feel like we should give her a name. Samara, does that work? I don't want you to get hung up on that, but just to personalize it a little bit. Samaritan Samara. Samara, I've come to you. I'm here now, sent by the Father for this moment. I know that you don't understand God and his ways, but I know that you want to, so I'm here. Why? To give you hope, healing, and true freedom. What a miracle. <clears throat> now here's the challenge for us in the same way that she seems to be, uh, I don't even know what the best word is, but she seems to be sort of blind to what's unfolding in front of her, the reality of the invitation, God of the universe coming to her in the flesh. She seems a little unaware of the gravity of the moment. I would say that we are too. Plenty of the time. Her story is intended to illuminate our situation. I want to give you a couple of indicators that you can use to gauge your own position before God, to gauge whether or not you are in desperate need of hope, healing, and freedom. The first one is, you hear hopefulness is naive optimism. Yeah, I know, you feel that way, but you feel that way because you've had it easier than I've had it. You don't understand my story. Wasn't that her first response? Oh, you think you're better than Jacob. Okay, cool. A person in desperate need hears the hopefulness of others who have been transformed and interprets it as foolishness, as naive optimism, as unrealistic, as out of touch with the realities of life and the harshness of this world. That's number one. Number two, you live in a cycle of defeat. There are patterns of sin that remain unchanged in your life over time. Maybe it's like her. Maybe it's relational idolatry and sexual sin in and out of relationships, in and out of relationships. How many times do you think she told herself, this is the last time I'm gonna make this work. I'm gonna avoid the mistakes of the past. And where we find her, she wasn't even trying to be married anymore. She was living in a new kind of brokenness, a sexual relationship out of covenant. I think one of the most powerful and profound cycles of defeat in the Western church right now today is actually complacency. 
That is a cycle of complacency where you keep telling yourself you're going to go after it. You keep telling yourself you're going to do more. You, you keep telling yourself, I'm just about to really get serious about my walk with the Lord. And that is your revolving cycle in your life. And I can't break free. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's anxiety. Maybe it's lust of the eyes. You make promises about yourself and your behavior and about your intentions towards freedom, and yet you find yourself living in a cycle of defeat. Patterns of sin that have been historically the same in my life remain unchanged. Number three, you stay out of the light. Most commentators make note that this woman was at the well when no one else was there. During the hot time of the day. Why? Well, in small town Sychar, you can only get married and divorced so many times before it gets a little awkward around town. You stay out of the light, you keep your sin hidden, your broken patterns hidden, your cycle of defeat hidden. You keep, you, you keep your sin hidden and your sin keeps you isolated. And why do we stay isolated? Well, I've done it, I'll speak for myself. The first thing is to protect my fragile pride. The second reason I stay isolated is because the enemy agrees with all of my decisions towards isolation. I say, well, I can't really trust this person. I'm not really sure about this situation. I'm not really comfortable with this circumstance. I think I'll just keep it to myself. And the enemy says, that's a great plan. You should keep that to yourself. You should stay in the dark and not let the light shine on your brokenness. And we say, yeah, that seems safer. But I think more profoundly than both of those, and I think most importantly, the reason we stay out of the light is because the potential for condemnation is more real to us than the potential for miraculous, supernatural healing love. Why is the potential for condemnation more real? Because that's the world we live in. Here's my sin. Bam. Ouch. I don't think I'll do that again. We already know what it's not like to receive or what it's sorry, what it's like to not receive love in regards to our own brokenness and the potential for supernaturally encountering the life-changing love of God is just a little too abstract for us. I don't know. I don't know. And so we stay out of the light. Number four, just like she did, we blame external factors for our internal state. Religion failed me. Religious leaders have failed me. Mentors have failed me. And Jesus doesn't say that that's not true. He just says, those failures have no authority over your current capacity and potential to give an unequivocal yes to God right now. You can do it.
Number five, you know about God, but you don't know God. This is a brutal assessment that a mentor of mine made of my life just a few years ago. I was already a pastor. I think you're more comfortable talking about him than you are talking with him. Well, that might be problematic. As soon as Jesus opens up the curtain on her personal brokenness, she goes very theological. Did you catch that? You have a relational problem, don't you? Yeah, well, you Jews, and your stupid theology, I could talk all day. It's all a mask. And what I love about the relentless grace of God is he says, I see what you're doing. Number six, you have a future hope, but no hope for the present. You know freedom is possible, but you've come to believe in your life it's not probable. She says, someday the Messiah will come and, and will set everything straight, which is her way of saying, today is not that day. I've tried, I've done all the things, I've been down the road, I said all the prayers, whatever it was, I did all of that, and look where I am. And lastly, number seven, you refuse the invitation of God today. She says, well, someday, someday God's gonna show up and he'll fix everything. It's my favorite part of the story. He's like, boo, I'm here. Are we doing this or not? Are we going for it or not? I came a long ways to see you, Samara. When I was, I think I was eight or nine years old, in our own house here in Homer, before we moved overseas, I stepped on something sharp, pricked my foot. And over the next couple of weeks, uh, my foot uh, got more and more painful to the point that I could hardly walk on it and it was swollen and red. and. After a couple of weeks, you know, because uh, I grew up in a different era than some of you, my dad decided to do surgery on my foot because that's how we rolled back then. <clears throat> and so I, I think a couple of people held me down and my dad used a scalpel to try to like get in and see if there was something there in my foot that was debilitating me and couldn't find anything and so finally gave up. Another couple of weeks went by and by the end of a month, I, could, I couldn't even walk on my foot. I was, I was limp. And so again, I think consistent with the era, as an absolute last resort, we went to see a doctor. And the doctor found a toothpick embedded in the heel of my foot. It had been comfy there for a month.
your sin, your shame, your brokenness. Only God heals. And you can, you can, you can spend the next 20 years developing a better plan to avoid stepping on toothpicks. But for those of us who have experienced the miraculous touch of God, I see that limp. I see you hobble. I see you trying to pull it off. You need a savior, a healer, someone to set you free. You can't manage the pain in order to be well. You can't just modify the way that you walk in order to be well. You can't think differently enough to be well. You can't strategize your way to being well. Only a healer can make you well. And we say, well, someday when he comes, and Jesus says, hey, I'm here. Jesus so carefully and gently lays open the wound of her shame so that he can apply his healing touch so that she, in stepping into the light, can receive the perfect love of God, receive grace from God, and experience abundant life. Luke 4, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim release to captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. When you are hopeless, broken, or bound, do you know what it feels like to be given hope, healing, and freedom? Jesus tells the lady, he tells Samara what it feels like. I'll tell you what it feels like. It's like getting that first drink of cool, fresh, life-giving water for your soul. And that experience of God's healing grace is so powerful that it overflows into our other relationships. Verse 14, the water that I will give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up to eternal life. And I love the fact that the story includes this detail in verse 28. And so the woman left her water pot and went into the city and found all of her friends. She forgot why she was there. And she became God's source of grace and truth to the people of Sychar. You want to know the characteristics of someone who has been miraculously touched by God? It's all the opposite things of the last list. They have an obnoxious and relentless hope. They walk in unearned victory every day. They shamelessly live in the light. 
They are unstoppable in their pursuit of God. There is, an, there is a constant hunger for him, a desire, a love for him, a companionship, a sense of his eminence, his closeness. And they speak of God as a dearly beloved friend and constant companion. They expect God to do the impossible in every hopeless situation. And they daily renew their enthusiastic yes and amen to God. I love this part of the story, John 4, 41. It says, many more believe because of his word. And they were saying to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves and know that this one truly is the savior of the world. That's so good. You pricked our curiosity, and then we met him. That was life-changing. Okay, now I'm going to switch gears. We're going to have a personal talk real quick. You ready? This is me and you. Chris, you guys can go ahead and come up. There are three groups, groups of people in this room right now. I'm going to divide you. There are those here who are right now today walking in a life-changing experience of divine healing, hope, and freedom in an overflowing fountain of abundant life. And if that's you, you know the challenge that I have this morning to describe that, because that's hard to do a lot of times, right? To say, I don't know how best to tell you this, but I'm telling you, it's better to have hope, healing, and freedom. The second group is those here who are fine, who are all good. And this is a different sermon that I don't have time for this morning, but Christ actually says, I didn't come for the healthy, I came for the sick. And then there's a third group. Those of you who know that you're broken, and yet you continue to stall, you continue to languish, you continue to hide, and you continue to, through great effort, try to figure it out. You don't have a vital sense of connection with God that translates into an experience of the supernatural in your life. And I want to talk to you first, Jeremiah 2.13. This is a verse that the Lord has just had in my mind and heart for quite some time now. My people have committed two evils. They have abandoned me, first of all, the fountain of living waters. The second thing, to carve out for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that do not hold water. Everything that you were meant to receive from me, you're trying through your own labor-intensive efforts to secure for yourself. You know that a cistern is like a 20-foot wide round bowl carved into solid rock in the middle of the desert. That's what they're trying to produce on their own. And at the end of it, guess what? They don't hold water. Intense labor total failure, 
No wonder you're exhausted. Are you tired of failed efforts to fix yourself, to break the patterns, to catch a glimpse of hope, to experience God healing your heart, your mind, your body, to experience true freedom, to feel the claws of sin and vice removed? Well, if that's you and you're ready to open your heart, to step into the light, to receive from Christ, Jesus says, those kinds of people, I'll come and find them. today sent by God to tell you there's more James 4 verse 8 come close to God and he will come close to you cleanse your hands you sinners and purify your hearts you double-minded be miserable mourn and weep let your laughter turn into mourning your joy into gloom humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will be the one to lift you up Isaiah 55 seek the Lord while he may be found call upon him while he is near let the wicked abandon his way and the unrighteous person his thoughts and let him return to the Lord and he will have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon Joel 2 yet even now declares the Lord return to me with all of your heart with fasting weeping and mourning tear your heart not just your garments now return to the Lord your God for he is gracious and compassionate slow to anger abounding in mercy and relenting of catastrophe. Jeremiah 29, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you and you will seek me and you will find me when you search for me with all of your heart. If you're stuck, if you're in need of hope, if you're in need of healing, if you're in need of freedom, I want to give you an opportunity this morning to step into the light. So this is what we're going to do. Uh, I, this wasn't my plan, but God decided to make his grace, his manifest presence known to you through his people. So I've asked a handful of people to position themselves over here to the side. And we're gonna take a quiet moment. You guys that I've talked to, you guys can go and head over. If you're in need, I want you to go stand before someone and say it out loud to step into the light and say, I need. And 
God to minister to you. If you, if you felt like there was a time and yet something has transpired in the meantime and I've kind of lost my way and I kind of feel confused and I'm, I feel disconnected and, and you're managing for that, you're solving for that and you find yourself exhausted. Jesus says, you, you should come to me for living water. I will give it to you in abundance. I'm gonna give you an opportunity to just go. To, to say out loud, this is what I need from the Lord. And to receive ministry through his people. So that's number one. You can do that anytime. Number two, for those of you who are here in this room, I wanna take a few minutes together. For those of you who are here, who are walking in a life-changing experience of divine healing, hope, and freedom, who are experiencing that overflowing fountain of abundant life. I want you to spend the next 20 minutes interceding for those who are in need. Listen to the words of Paul, Ephesians 3. For this reason, I bend my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner self so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all of the saints what is the width and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think According to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. I know you've been planning to do something. I know you've been thinking about it. I know you felt pulled and you haven't. And just like this, just like Samara, you say, well, someday, someday. And I would say today could be the day. You just open up your lives to receive from him. So let's take a moment. If you want to go receive prayer, or if you want to come up here and pray by yourself, you can do whatever you want. But you should do something. You should, you should have a moment and receive the love of Christ. And I want to take a moment. We're going to sing a little simple hymn, Amazing Grace. The rest of us intercede for those around us who desperately need a touch from the Lord.
complacency, our own calculated measures. That you would rescue us from our confidence and our own ability, our contentment with the status quo. God, I pray on behalf of those here who need to receive from you. who don't, who are not at least at this moment walking in that abundant overflow of life eternal, that abundant overflow of hope and healing and freedom. God, would you, would you open their eyes to see the incomprehensible scale of what you've promised for us, of what you've made available to us. for those here who have never given you an unequivocal yes, laid their lives before you in repentance and invited you in. God, give them the grace to, to cross over those waters, to reach for your hand and to receive salvation. here who is saying, not today, not today, not now. God, I ask that you would break down that wall of resistance. together. 
as we continue interceding. said yes to the invitation to Christ to be in relationship with him to receive salvation you want to come and talk to one of us come and do that we'd love to have a conversation with you any of our any of our team or anyone over here and if the Lord has put on your mind or your heart a specific action that he's called you to in response to this morning that you know leaving here you need to take care of I want you to know that there are a bunch of people here this morning who are praying for you, who are interceding on your behalf, that he would give you the supernatural courage to say yes to him. God bless you. May his peace be upon you as you go. Ladies, we'll see you at chapel tonight. Otherwise, have a wonderful week. You are dismissed.